few weeks ago, I was at the new property, and there's all these security cameras. The previous owner had installed all these security cameras all over the property, and we've been trying to figure out a couple of them aren't working quite right, and so some of them are mounted pretty up high on these different poles throughout the property. So I was trying to make sure each one of them had power running to them, and so I didn't have a ladder, though. I needed a big ladder, like 15, 20-foot ladder, and so I found this telescoping ladder that you kind of pull out and extend out as you need it, And I leaned it up against the pole, and I'm up there doing my thing. Now, the tricky thing about a telescoping ladder as opposed to like an extension ladder is that there's not like that huge kind of gra uh, grasp at the top. There's not sort of the, the, the left and the right side that really gets a hold of what you're leaning on. There's just a tiny little lip. And so I took a step down, and the ladder slipped off the pole, and I thought, dear Jesus, we're taking a ride down the mountain today, and just started sort of heading to the ground. And my goal was, I'm just going to ride this thing out. I'm going to pretend it's a little merry-go-round ride, just grab onto this thing and take it down to the ground. And so as I went down, the ladder eventually hit a fence, and it broke beneath me. And so I hit the ground, and I did what you all would do. I, I jumped in my car, went to the emergency room. Actually, I didn't do that. I folded the ladder up. I telescoped out every part that would work, and I climbed back up that pole because, man, I'm not going to let that ladder beat me. And I was so mad. I mean, my body was in some pain, I will admit, but I was more upset that the ladder I had just brought broke, and I literally said to the ladder, I just bought you. Like, I was talking to it like it had a personality, you know? And, man, I get so frustrated when things break. And here we are in our nation, and I think in this, in this series we've been making pretty clear that we live in a broken land. We live in a broken time right now, Right? That there's just a lot going on in our world, and there's a lot about America right now, and we can zoom even into our local community and say there's a lot about Long Island right now that's just broken, and there's all kinds of fear, and there's disunity, and there's fighting, and there's violence, and there's godlessness, and it just seems like so much is going wrong. And so I guess the thought is, do we sit back and watch it happen Do we sort of ride the ladder down until it breaks, so to speak? Or instead, do we say, wait a minute, maybe God wants us to do something about this. Maybe it's not supposed to stay like this. I mentioned in our night service last week that, you know, all the church leaders, and I, mean, I can't say all of them, but I listen to leadership podcasts a lot and stuff, and everybody keeps talking about post-Christian America. And I keep thinking to myself, well, man, okay, I would agree that that's where we're headed, but I don't believe that's where we have to go. Like, have we just given up? Did we just throw our hands up and say, this is what it's going to be? And so, man, I think we got to get some fight in us and fight for our nation and believe that God still, could still do something incredible. But what's it going to take? We've been looking at a passage in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 7. It's been the foundation verse for our series here. And it was written, or it was given rather to the people of Israel around 10, 10th century BC as they were dedicating the temple. And God knew that although things were good with the people that were at church that day, so to speak, that the day would come that it would be another broken land. It'd be another nation that was far from God. And so he made this promise. He said this. He said, If my people, who were called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And so God called these, these people to do four things. If they would do these four things, he would heal their land. And as we've been saying in this series, I don't know that we have the same promise from God specifically, but I do think that these four things still move his heart today. And so I would pray that, as we talked about humility a few weeks ago, that you and I, we've humbled our hearts before God and said, oh God, we've thought we've got this all worked out, but we need you. We want your way, not ours. 
I pray lastly because we talked about prayer and seeking God's face. I want to thank many of you who joined us in that week-long fast, just giving something up so we could seek the face of Jesus, that we would say, oh God, we're desperate for you in this time in our nation. We're going to fight in prayer that God would do something new and powerful in this nation and even down to our local community once again. But today I want to talk with you about this last one. I want to talk with you about this idea of turning from our evil or our wicked ways. And, and there's a couple of things we have to come to terms with, okay? First thing we have to come to terms with is that we often think that our sin or those things that we do that are wrong are done in secret, don't we? Like, like we, we think we got it covered up. We think we kind of got it buried. But we forget that God sees it, okay? We forget that there are consequences, that sometimes we think, I'm just going to get away with this and all is going to go well, right? But there's something even bigger on the line in the context of this series we have to remember. You see, one of the lies we believe about our sin is that we believe it only affects us. In other words, even if we did get caught, it's really just going to affect us. Or maybe at least that kind of circle, that close circle to us. But what we don't think about a lot, guys, isn't this true? We don't think about a lot the fact that our sin impacts apparently an entire nation maybe. Like when, when we all collectively come together and, and we look at the things that you and I have struggled with and the things that we've done wrong, think about what God says here. He says, hey, don't shake your fists at the people outside the church walls today. Don't try to blame the condition of America on them. He says this, he says, if my people will turn from their wicked ways, right? And so I'm telling you today, God calls you and me to turn from those things that we've been looking to for far too long that are breaking the heart of God, those things that are against God, he's calling us to turn away from that because we will gain great blessing through it. But hear me, our nation will gain great blessing when God's people show up and say, God, oh man, forgive us. Today's the day to turn. The, the word turn, repent, right? So in other words, if my evil ways or my wicked ways are here, it is time to do a 180 and it's time to turn from that and repent and walk in a new way. And so... I want you to take a deep breath because I understand that a topic like this makes everybody a little bit nervous, right? And you think what I'm going to do today is put a lot of guilt on you and condemn you, but instead I want to inspire you. I want to motivate you to live for something better than your sin, that we would live for something better. We'd choose something better than this sin in our lives. And so what I want to do is this. I want to hold up in one hand a clear picture of God. And on the other hand, I want to hold up a clear picture of sin. And I just want to weigh it out then. I want you to make your own decision today. What will you choose? God and the amazing satisfaction that he offers or our sin? Maybe I could illustrate it this way. I think most of us in the room would be able to make a pretty clear choice here. We got Chick-fil-A or a diaper, okay? <laughs> what you going to choose, right? Once again, Chick-fil-A representing the things of God. Thank you very much. But... Here we have this opportunity, right? Now 99% of the room is going Chick-fil-A all day. But there's 1% of us, or there's that 1% in all of us that's going, I'm a little curious about that diaper, if I'm honest, right? It's that unknown. It's that what if, and it's this thought. It, so Doug wants me to believe there's certain things in here, and he wants me to believe there's certain things in here, right? Is it true? And guys, I'm telling you right now, it's the same thing with our sin and God. Is God really full of all he says he's full of? And is our sin really full of all that God says it's full of? Because God tells us our sin is empty, broken, and destructive. 
But God says he offers life and he offers incredible blessing and satisfaction and all these things. So, so what is really true? And that's what we're going to discover here today. And again, my goal is just that it would be so clear to you because what you and I have forgotten or we've chosen to maybe you know, not believe anymore is that sin is still broken. You see, you and I so often begin to believe, you know what, maybe sin finally figured itself out, right? Sin finally repaired itself. And so now I can find actual satisfaction in it. And some of us are killing ourselves trying to make our sin work today. Is that true of anybody here? Don't raise your hand, right? We're just killing ourselves. We're destroying our life. We're beating, it's like beating rock with a sledgehammer. Have you ever had to do that? I've been doing some demo work in my house recently, and man, I've been very, very close with a sledgehammer for far too long, and it is hard work. And sometimes you hit the same thing over and over again, and it just will not give you what you want. And guys, that's sin. It's hitting the same thing over and over again, expecting you're actually going to get somewhere with it. I tell you today, our sin is still broken. And so today, I want us to really rise to this challenge that God gives in his word. And to you dads in the room, happy Father's Day. We're talking about sin. How awesome is that, right? Some of you guys are like, I knew I should have stayed home and watched TV. I knew I, I, I watched the stream. At least I could turn Doug off when he gets me a little uncomfortable, right? But guys, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Okay, we have two options today. We got, the first option is this, is to play it safe, okay? And I really thought about this. I mean, we're in the middle of this series, and this is an intense topic, and I was really like, all right, do we really talk about this on Father's Day, or do we go like warm, fuzzies, with gushy stuff, you know? And as I really thought and prayed about it, you know, like, like the church experts out there, I haven't met any of them yet, by the way, but, but they say that, you know what, you got to be careful with guys. You got to be careful with men in the church, man. They don't want to be at church, and you got to be careful what you talk about. And, but can I tell you something? Do we ever really want to play it safe in life, men. You know what I mean? Like, let's just think about it. Like the movies we watch, we never want the people in the movie to play it safe, you know? Like we're, we're never like, yeah, you know, that, that guy, he could have saved the whole world, um, would have given his life, but he could have saved the whole world, but it's probably smarter for him to run and hide in that cave like everybody else, and then the movie ended, and then the whole world exploded. That's probably a better idea, right? Like, like no, we, we want them to go out there and give it all, right? We, we want Derek Jeter, right, to run past the third baseman out into left field, dive into the stands, make the catch, and come out with his face bleeding, right? Like, none of us are sitting down with Jeter after that play. Like, Derek, we just want you to relax a little bit. Just calm down. Take it down a notch, D, okay? It's all good. It's all going to be all right, right? No, we want them to put it all out there. We don't want them to play it safe. And guys, I got to tell you something. Think about your life. You and I, we don't look up to anybody who plays it safe, do we? We look up to those people who say, okay, This might be a little bit hard. This might be a little challenging, but I'm in. And so today, I think there's no better day than to go with option two, which is to face up to some of those things in our lives that we've been putting off for far too long, to own up to some of those things, to confess some of those things, to repent of some of those things and turn from them for the sake of our lives, for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our marriages, for the sakes of our kids, for some of you younger people, for the sake of your future marriages. But man, today, remember the context of this series, for the sake of our nation. Because our sin doesn't just impact us. And our sin doesn't just impact our little family. Apparently, in God's eyes, our sin has an impact on our land. And so what if today, you and I, men, we faced up to it and we said, all right, we want to do things God's way. And so, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to make something really clear for you today. You can take a step with us toward Jesus. 
okay? And what I'm saying today is not try to get yourself all fixed and looking good, and then Jesus wants you. What I'm saying is we first need Jesus, desperately need Jesus, and then watch him help us with all that other stuff that we're trying to fix anyway. Watch Jesus help us face our demons. I'm not saying go face your demons and then come to Jesus. No, go to Jesus and then watch him enable you and empower you to overcome those demons. And so today I would love for you to take some steps with us toward Jesus as we look to God for some help in all this, all right? And so we're going to look at some verses in Jeremiah 2. And this is back in the Old Testament before Jesus came to save mankind. He desired a relationship. God desired a relationship with his people. And he had had a strong relationship at one point, but something had gone wrong. Jeremiah 2, 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Guys, this is so powerful. I believe God could be saying this to America right now. I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. What's he saying there? He's saying, guys, I remember, Israel, when you were a young nation and you followed me. And he uses this example of of a bride almost following the groom. And I believe that God could say that to America. I remember, America, when there was a time you loved me and you were built on my principles. And watch how I blessed and what I did and the ways that I moved in your lives and in your nation during that time. We find the word devotion in here. You guys remember we've been talking about that kind of cycle that Israel went through that probably our nation's going through right now. It starts out with disobedience, then it goes to discipline, and then it goes to devotion, devotion, to devote our hearts to God and then find deliverance from him. And so right there, they're saying, hey, God's saying, hey, there was a time you were devoted to me. But then it says this, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of the harvest, All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. In other words, God's saying, I had your back, guys. You remember that? Remember when you were so devoted to me? I had your back, man. No one could touch you because I was caring for you. Then it goes on a little bit more. Hear the word of the Lord. You descendants of Jacob, I love this. All, All you clans of Israel, this is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? Have you ever thought about God's perspective like that? What fault did you find? What did I do wrong that made you turn to other things? My youngest son this past week did a couple things wrong, and I had to discipline him. I said, all right, Landon, go up to your room, buddy. And I went up a few minutes later, and I said, Landon, what would you do wrong? And he goes, nothing. I said, all right, brother, well, I hope you enjoy this room because you're going to be in it for a while. <laughs> I went back downstairs, came back up five minutes later, same scenario. I didn't do anything, Dad do anything right we went through this about five or six times and I said buddy you you are like literally staying in your room until you tell me the things that you did wrong and so a few few minutes later after that five fifth or sixth time I I hear feet walking over to the top of the stairs and then I hear dad I come in yeah bud because I did this and I do that and I'm like and and he's like I I need help on the third one (laughs) I was like well here's what you did bud and he owned up to it okay dad I did that yeah guys God could sit on his bed for eternity and literally come back and said, I did nothing wrong. I did nothing. What fault did you find with me that you turned your back on me? What did I do to let you down? And I believe that's God's question to some of us today. What have I, what have I done that your nation would walk away? Then it says this, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. And so we traded God for some stuff. I mean, if we're back to this analogy, right, we're we're making this choice somehow. 
okay? And, and we're beginning to live for idols or things that are made with human hands, with this that phone in our pocket, right? It's that image of that person that comes up on the phone in our pocket. It's that green paper in our wallet or that shiny plastic card in our wallet, and we're living for it. We've traded gods somehow. We've exchanged. It's that social media status we work so hard to attain to make our life look so picture perfect. What is it for you? What do you turn your back on God for? What do you need today to turn from? What do you and I maybe need to repent of? Verse 6, they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? Guys, they just simply forgot all that God had done. When's the last time you and I were tempted to do something wrong? And we just stopped and said, but wait, this is the God who saved me. This is the God who gave me peace. This is the God who has forgiven me time and time again. This is the God who brought my family together. This is the God who saved my marriage. This is the God who rescued my parents' marriage. And I'm going to go choose that now? When's the last time we just stopped? What we're going to make this exchange for? Really thought that through. Then it goes on. It says, I brought you into a fertile land to eat. And it's rich fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask where the Lord is. Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. And so literally the whole leadership of this nation turned on God. The lawyers, the prophets, the religious leaders, everybody turned on God. And then the thing about this, the prophets started to prophesy in the name of Baal. Do you know what Baal was? Baal was a statue carved out of wood that would sit in the corner and the prophets would sit and, oh, this is what Baal is saying. And he would speak to the people. And the people would go, oh, great Baal, right? And they would come in the next day. It's like, Baal, you, haven't, you look just like you did yesterday, man. You haven't moved. You haven't done a thing, man. You're still sitting there. But what do you have to say, Baal? And the prophet would stand there and prophesy for Baal again. Guys, and we look at that and we're like, that's so dumb. But can I ask you, what are you, what are you listening to right now? Like, like Baal had these people's ear. What most has your ear? Is it God? Is it the word of God? Is it the truths of God? Or is it what society has to say right now? There's a lot of politicians and actors and musicians and athletes who are very, very loud right now. And it's very easy to follow their way and to go, oh, what a great point. Oh, that was very smart. But when do we look back and say, wait a minute, we're listening to Baal right now. What does God have to say about this? If we have a hope for our nation, it's going to be by coming back to what God has to say. Verse 9, Therefore I I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Here's that cycle again, disobedience of discipline. And then look what it says in verse 10. Cross over to the coast of Cyprus and look. Send to Kedar and observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. He's literally telling the people, go on a hunt. You find me another nation that has exchanged God's. The point is, no one's done this, right? Like, no one has picked up Baal and put him back in the storage room and brought out a new God and said, let's worship this one instead. And we're talking about the real God here that we've exchanged and we've traded, right? Then he goes on. He says, has a nation ever exchanged its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. Has a nation ever decided 
this living God who's shown up over and over again, who's done unthinkable things for us and provided in amazing ways, is now no longer worth our time and attention. Now let's take out the piece of wood and bow down to it. Now let's take out the phone and live for it. Now let's take out that that green stuff that we love in our pocket and let's live for this, right? Traded gods, right? What is it for you? What is it for you? Again, I'm not trying to condemn you and I today. I just want us to see clearly what we're living for. I want us to see the silly choice we make when we choose sin every single time. It's still broken, right? The one true God calls out for your attention and my attention. You don't think that phone in your pocket's a God, do you? You don't think the images of those people that come up on that phone, they're gods, right? You know they're not. You don't think your social media status has turned you into God, do you? Right? What are we truly living for? He says this, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. God's not being cocky. He just knows it's true. Okay? He just knows it's true that we have given up him and our love for him and our passion for him for other things. Look, guys, we can have phones. I got a phone. It's backstage right now. It's probably going off. Okay? I have a phone. I have a TV. I have a, I'm not saying we can't ever enjoy some entertainment and some of these things, but man, isn't it true that if we look at our lives and we look at the lives of Americans right now, we have traded our God for false ones. It goes on in this next part. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Have you ever stopped and thought about what the angels are thinking when we choose sin? You ever stopped and just said, man, I wonder what eternity, what, what heaven's perspective sees when I am choosing sin right now. Have you ever seen somebody make a bad trade and you're like, oh no, don't do that, don't do that. Do you guys remember elementary school? Man, elementary school, I'd go to school every day and I always look forward to lunch. I was so excited about lunch and I had a Transformers metal lunchbox. And I would bust that thing open. That's right, oh, that's right. And I would, I'll bust that thing open, Okay. And I was so ready to dig in, man. PB&J, check. Capri Sun, check. And then you're looking for the snack. What snack did my mom give me? No, nothing but pickles. No, I don't want pickles, right? And you have pickles there. And you instantly begin to look around the table. Who's got something better? Billy's got, uh, Billy's got a, a fruit roll-up, man. I can't wait. to, to, to if, if that were mine right now, I'd wrap that around my finger and just suck on it all day. You guys remember that back in the day? Come on. Don't pretend you're better than me. You know, you did it, and it's disgusting, isn't it? Why did we do that? And so you're looking at Billy, you're kind of eyeing him. You're like, yo, Billy, I'll trade you my pickles for your fruit roll-up, man. And Billy's eyes light up. This weirdo likes pickles, I guess. I don't know, man. And you're looking at this, you can't believe it. And, and all the rest of the kids are around, Billy, don't do it. That's a horrible, horrible trade. And you make the trade, and it's horror over the table. All your friends can't believe what they're seeing. Guys, I just can't imagine the horror of heaven. Wait, wait, isn't that Doug? Isn't that Doug? Isn't, isn't that the pastor? The guy who, who loves Jesus? The guy who gets up on the stage and he's going to turn to that right now? Doesn't he know the satisfaction Jesus offers? Doesn't he know what he's missing out on? Doesn't he know how this could impact his family and even his land it says this, and this is where it gets as clear as day. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, 
the spring of living water. He used this beautiful analogy that he is a spring of living water. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever stood on a mountain or a hill or been down in a valley somewhere and there's just this spring flowing up and out? I have and it's awesome. It's crazy. And he says, I'm like that. Again, let's just hold up a clear picture of God today. So there's these thirsty, dying people who need fresh water and here I am flowing for them. And it goes on. Second sin. They've dug their own cisterns. So, so they've forsaken me. They've looked at me, the, the fresh spring of water, and decided they didn't want me. And then they went and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so we have this spring versus this cistern, right? We have this beautiful flowing life with a cistern, which I don't know if you know what a cistern is, but basically what they would do is, remember I talked earlier about taking a sledgehammer and beating concrete? That's what you would do. They would beat the concrete, they would beat the rock rather, and they would break it up and go as deep as they could, and then they would put concrete down around the bottom of it and seal it. And then hope and pray that it would rain, and when it rained, then that thing would fill up. And then they would have drinking water. And I want you to think about the difference between a spring and a cistern. A spring is something God made happen. A cistern had to be built. A spring is something that's satisfied without any labor, and a cistern involved great labor. Have you ever been out digging in your backyard, and you're going well, man, you're getting the hole dug out, but eventually you hit a rock, and then you spend like four hours digging the rock out, and then it ends up being this big? You're like, I just lost my day because of this stupid rock, guys. That's the entire cistern. You're digging the rock only. There's no dirt around it. You're breaking up rock. You imagine the labor. And guys, I'm telling you again, this is what some of us are doing. God is this overflowing spring in our life saying, come to me and let me refresh you. And we're over here trying to bang the rock to finally find some satisfaction. Have you seen yet? It doesn't work, right? Spring is this natural burst of living water which usually flowed all year. A cistern dependent on rain. And if it didn't rain, you didn't drink. And in fact, some of them would get so dry that they would abandon them as cisterns and they would put prisoners in there and they'd become jails. Isn't that interesting? Don't we become slaves, prisoners, to our cisterns sometimes, to those things that we run away from God to? Spring was rare and unique. A cistern was ordinary. Spring overflowed out onto you. A cistern, you had to work to get any water at all. And I want you to keep something in mind. Everything I just said about a cistern has to do with a working one. But what did God tell us? These cisterns don't even work. They don't even hold water. And yet the people are still running to them. And that's us sometimes, isn't it? God, the spring of life. And we keep running back to the cistern. What do we need to turn? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to say, oh God, you are so much better than my idols. You are so much better than my stupid cisterns. They're broken. They will never satisfy they will never satisfy. Listen to me. We're not going to get this perfect. We will sometimes turn to the cistern, and the grace of Jesus is there when we do. But as followers of Jesus, we can more and more turn to the spring of life and find satisfaction. God is so much better than our idols. Not worth it. Ever wants to turn your back on God. The sin you know it. You know it. I don't even have to convince you of this. We all know how empty and broken our sin actually is. And so what does it look like for you and me to turn today? Men in the room, if I could call you out on Father's Day, what does it look like, guys, for us to say enough is enough? 
This Father's Day could be the most important one of your life because this is the day you say, God, I have been looking to all that stuff, and I'm so sick of it. I'm so tired of it. And today is the day I do a 180. Today is the day I turn. And God, be the one that does the heavy lifting in my life. God, I, don't, I, I can't do this alone, but I know you're with me. For the rest of us in the room, what do we need to turn from? You've known. I, I guarantee you, you've probably known through this whole message, right, right from the moment I, I first asked, what do you need to turn from? You've probably known there's just that thing. And I'm telling you, I just want you to see clearly today that, that Jesus is better. And when you and I begin to discover that and live that and believe that and walk in that, we begin to enjoy the satisfaction of the spring of life. And then we think about our nation. We think about a little church like ours beginning to turn from our sin, turn from our wicked ways, and honor Jesus. And here's what I believe. I believe that in the same way our sin goes out there and breaks a land, I think that more and more as we do things God's way, it brings healing to that land. Because here's what I believe. Broken lands are healed when we choose God over sin. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. Choose God over sin. And I'm not asking you to do anything today that is bad for you. I'm not asking you to do anything today that, honestly, if you really sat and thought about it rationally, you wouldn't even want to do. I'm asking you today and inviting you today to the satisfaction that Jesus offers. Simplest way to say it, sin is broken. Jesus satisfies. Those two statements never change. Sin is broken. Jesus satisfies. Yeah, man, sin was fun for a minute. It was fun for a season. It was fun for that month. It was fun for that six months. But man, eventually, it broke. But there's this satisfaction available in Jesus that never, ever goes away. It's there every time I need it. The spring never dries up. And I'm just telling you experientially what I've been through, what I've found. And I know many of you have experienced the same and so if you're a follower of Jesus today, what do you do? I encourage you to ask God to help you turn from your broken cisterns. I ask you to help, God, just help me choose you. You are better. I want you. I want to live my life for you. Oh, God, so empower me to overcome this, this stuff in my life. And God, I pray that when I fall, your forgiveness will be great. And some of you need to pray a really bold prayer today because you're not convinced. Some of you guys are like, I don't really know about this, man. I don't really know if any of this stuff this guy is saying is true today. Can I give you a prayer? Can I just hand you a prayer and ask you to pray it? It's a bold one, but I encourage you to do it. I would ask you to say, God, show me clearly what my sin actually looks like. Just give me a clear view of it. Because for some of us, it's clouded right now. You ever try to look through a really dirty window and it's just sort of clouded? You can kind of half make out images on the other side. Just ask God to clear out that muck so you could see clearly what your sin is really like. Because I'll tell you what, when you and I see it clearly, it's like, seriously, there's a choice here even? Right? I encourage you to pray that bold prayer today. And here's what I can tell you, man. I can tell you that in middle school, I started looking at some stuff I had no business looking at. I can tell you in high school and college, I started doing some stuff I had no business doing. And out into adult life, Forget it, anger, pride, jealousy, insecurity, selfishness, greed, fear, all kinds of stuff that I've done. And I don't remember looking back on a season and going, man, that was such a great time. It was fun in the moment. Sure, there was a, there was a high in the moment. 
But man, I look back on all that with regret. But at the same time, I look back to middle school, high school, college, right all the way up through adulthood to today and tell you all the same times when I, instead of going to the broken cistern, have gone to the spring of life and I have found satisfaction. The sin is broken. I got a call from a guy last night and he'd done something wrong. Kind of big. And i tell you what he didn't say to me. He didn't say, Doug, I just wanted to call you to tell you how excited I am about what I did this weekend. I just want to tell you how satisfied I feel with the bad choices that I made. I want to tell you how much life it's brought to me and my family. No, do you know what he said to me? He said, Doug, I am ashamed of what I did. I'm ashamed of how I handled myself. I'm ashamed of how I represented my God. Because sin is broken. But you know that already, don't you? Because we've lived it. I encourage you today, have that honest, open, raw conversation with Jesus, confessing your sin to him. He loves you. He is safe. He wants you. And then ask him for the empowerment to turn. Because I believe part of that is going to bring some healing to our land. And it's going to satisfy you. Because sin is broken and Jesus satisfies. Remember earlier I said that heaven looked at the trade that we make in horror. Well, there was another time that heaven looked down on earth in horror. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to hear me out. You see, one day, talk about Father's Day, one day God the Father, loving you so much, sent his son and put him on a cross. And I guarantee you, heaven looked on in horror. Heaven looked down and said, wait, he's on the cross for the people that worship Baal, worship the idols and all the stuff? But the Father sent him to the cross to redeem you, to rescue you, that you and I can be free, that we can walk in his forgiveness and love, that we can stop trying to fight our demons by ourselves, that we can find salvation and hope in him and then empowerment to overcome. So if you want to put your trust in him today, I'd love for you to pray with me in just a minute. But for the sake of our own lives, for the sake of our families, and for the sake of our broken land, let's choose Jesus. Let's choose the spring of life. I truly believe that broken lands can be healed as we choose God over sin. Let's pray together. God, we love you. God, you are good to us. And I thank you that this is not a message of guilt and condemnation today. This is an invitation to freedom and to walk in the grace and mercy that you provide us, God. And I thank you for this word, God. It's not an easy one, but it's a vital one. I thank you for this word that we find in your scriptures, God, that points us to the hope that we can find satisfaction in your presence, that that offer still stands, though that was written centuries ago, God, millennium ago even, God. We thank you so much, Lord. If you're a follower of Jesus, will you spend a minute or two now having that conversation? Be like David in the scriptures. David had no filter with God. He came clean. He came very, very boldly and said, God, here is what I have done, and here is what I want to turn from. I need you. 
Have that conversation. Name it right now. Name it. God, I have been looking at porn. God, I have been cheating. God, I have been lying. I have been so angry. God, I have been holding on to unforgiveness for 10 years. God, I have been stealing. God, I have been so about money that I have forsaken you. I've abandoned my family. God, whatever it is, you name it. You name it today. Jesus wants you. You're loved. But now it's time to turn. Now it's time to turn. Not another day in a broken cistern when the spring of life offers us satisfaction. God, help us. We need you, every one of us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you want to put your trust in him, would you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Thank you so much for loving me enough. Thank you so much for offering me a gift of salvation, for being the spring of life, that I don't have to try to work my way to you. I don't have to break my back trying to find satisfaction anymore. But I can come close to you. I can talk to you and find satisfaction there. I can read your word, find satisfaction there. I can bring you my cares and my anxieties and my fears and know you're with me. Thank you for this gift. Just before we open our eyes today, if you pray that for the first time, I'd love for you to give me a quick glance. You don't have to do that, but it would be awesome so I could be praying for you this week. Anybody do that? Cool, cool. I see you guys. That's great. Anybody else? Just throughout the room here. Just making my way over here. Anybody else today? Thank you, God, for what you're doing here today, Jesus. We love you. Give you praise for every single person that looked to you as Savior today. We love you, God. Amen.